All right, so welcome to week four of our series called The Upside Down Kingdom, in which we're looking at what it means to live the Christian life. If you tuned in with us last week, then uh, you know that our our content uh, was really um, purely outward. In other words, we talked about our relationships with others, specifically people who are very easy to write off. Uh, Today's content is going to be exactly the opposite. Uh, This is going to be a purely inward kind of teaching in which we're going to talk about our relationships really with with our own hearts and with what's going on in our own lives. And so we're going to look at at, uh, a very short but very famous piece of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave, uh, just two verses in which Jesus says a whole lot. It's Luke chapter 6, verses 41 and 42. Here's, Here's what he said. Jesus asked, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself don't see the log in your eye? Hypocrite! First take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck in your brother's eye. This is God's word. So what Jesus is talking about specifically in these two verses, and actually if you zoom out to this whole section really of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is talking about is this thing that we normally refer to as integrity, although Jesus does not use that word here. Instead, he uses a word that is actually the exact opposite of integrity, this thing that we call hypocrisy. So just as a side note, if you're tuning in and uh, you find yourself very put off or even disgusted by Uh, hypocrisy or hypocrites in general, I think what's really important for you to see is that you and Jesus have at least that one thing in common because Jesus was calling out hypocrites and hypocrisy long before it was cool to do so. So what I want to do on the uh, the front end of this teaching is really explain what hypocrisy is because that word gets thrown around a lot. I think it's commonly um, misunderstood and, and sometimes I think it's even inappropriately used. So the Greek word for hypocrite Uh, was actually the same word for uh, actor. And so what Jesus is saying here is that all hypocrisy essentially is acting. Now, back in Jesus' day, um, if you were an actor, then you wore a literal mask. So, for instance, if you were playing a character that was supposed to be very happy and joyful, then you put on a mask to make you look happy and joyful. And, you know, conversely, if you were playing a character who was, you know, grief-stricken, then you actually wore a physical mask to make you look grief-stricken. But the point is uh, that the, the mask hid what you were really like. And, and all good actors are good at that, right? Uh, all good actors, if they landed a joyful role playing a joyful character... Um, you know, even if they personally feel sad, and if they're a good actor, they know how to act joyful and to convince everybody else that they are joyful, regardless of what's going on inside of them. Because the mark of good acting, what it really boils down to, the mark of good acting is the ability to separate your part from your heart. In other words, all good actors, regardless of of, of what's going on in them, they have the ability to create a a disconnection uh, between the part they're playing and what they're personally feeling to the point uh, that they can play their part regardless of what's going on in their heart. Now, that is a, it's a very valuable thing if you're acting on stage, but according to Jesus, that's a terrible thing if you're walking through life. And so all of that is going to bring us to really our, our first main idea today. Um, it's going to kind of frame uh, what we mean when we talk about hypocrisy, and, and that idea is this. It's that hypocrisy is not just pretending to be something you're not. It's hiding who you really are. 
Right? That's what Jesus is talking about here uh, when he's speaking against hypocrisy. And evidently, Jesus thought that, that this was a pervasive issue uh, that, was, that was very common in, in the lives of, of everybody, or else you know, this is not something that would have made it to the Sermon on the Mount. And if you carefully read Jesus' words here, you'll find that Jesus tells us two of the primary ways that hypocrisy tends to manifest itself in our lives, and both of those two ways are, are actually found right here in verse 41. So Jesus said, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye. Uh, so what I want to do is just walk through both halves of that verse. So first off, uh, Jesus talks about looking at the speck in your brother's eye, and, and what he's talking about is, you know, a spirit of of, um, of judgmentalism, which is something that I think, you know, we all tend to think of when we think about a hypocrite. So one of the main ways that, that we practice hypocrisy uh, and divert attention from ourselves and, and sort of hide is by finding fault in other people. And just because you're not actively telling people what you don't like about them or even gossiping about people behind their back does not mean that you're not doing what Jesus is talking about here because notice Jesus is, is, is just talking about looking at the speck in your brother's eye. Uh, meaning even though you're not saying anything, uh, you're still hyper-focused on where you believe somebody else needs to change. And according to Jesus' words here, that is a hallmark of a hypocrite. So hypocrisy, on the one hand, is saying, let's hide what I don't like about myself by pointing out what I don't like in you. Right? That's one way, one main, major way that hypocrisy tends to manifest itself. The other way is found in the second half of this verse. So Jesus asked, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? And then he said, but you don't notice the log in your own eye. So on, on one hand, the nature of hypocrisy is being overly critical of others, but on the other, according to Jesus' words here, uh, it's about, hypocrisy is about being oversensitive to criticism from others. It's, it's just really the inability to, to handle or hear criticism at all. Because the kind of person that Jesus is describing here, uh, he says, you don't notice the log in your own eye, he's describing a kind of person who is just unable or straight up unwilling to recognize all that's going on and needs to change in their own life. So, so people like this, they either lose their minds in kind of violent you know, fits of, of rage and verbal assaults uh, in the face of criticism, or else they just completely shrug it off altogether, and they ignore it altogether, and they allow basically nobody to speak in their life. So on the surface, these two kinds of people, Jesus is describing in verse 41, might look like very different people. One is hyperjudgmental toward others. The other is hypersensitive to criticism from others. But, but really what this is showing is that those two people are just two sides, two different sides of the same coin. Because what they both have in common is that they're both deeply uncomfortable with what's going on in their own lives and with what's going on in their own hearts, and so they hide. And Jesus is basically saying that this is the way that we all naturally tend to move through life. That on autopilot, uh, basically, humans are actors wearing a mask, uh, pretending to be something that they're not on a stage. Now, the next question that I'd like to ask here is, uh, why do we do this? Why do people do this? And the answer to that question is actually our, our second idea today. It's that uh, the reason we hide from others is because we are hiding from ourselves. That might sound kind of strange to you, but this is explicitly what Jesus says in the first half of verse 42. Jesus says, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, 
when, and I want to really focus on this, Jesus says, when you yourself don't see the log in your eye, you hypocrite. All right, so, so Jesus here is not saying that we fail to admit our own flaws. He's actually saying that we fail to see them. Now, I think this is really worth highlighting because this is not the way that people normally think about hypocrites. All right, normally when we think about hypocrisy, we think about a person trying to pretend to be something uh, while very deliberately choosing to be something else. In other words, we think that, that hypocrites are people who have pulled the rug, or at least trying to pull the rug, over everybody else's eye. And that certainly is a kind of hypocrite. But according to Jesus' words here, a far more common kind of hypocrisy is the kind of hypocrisy that, that not only is pulling the rug over everybody else's eyes, but even pulling the rug over your own eyes. And when Jesus here says, in verse 42, when he says, you yourself don't see the log in your own eye, what he's doing is he's actually telling us three things about the self-deception that we all have a tendency to practice. So first off, what Jesus is saying is that we, we all deliberately choose to not see the truth about ourselves. When he says you don't see this log in your eye, Jesus is saying that, that, and this is true of people generally, we all deliberately choose to not see the truth about ourselves. In other words, the inclination, the Bible teaches this all over the place, that the inclination of the human heart to hide itself is so powerful that not only do we not want other people to look into our hearts, we actually don't even want to look into them ourselves. We hate spiritually looking at ourselves in the mirror. All right, that, that's the first thing that you can take from Jesus' words here. But, but secondly, uh, because Jesus says that this is a log that we're failing to see, what Jesus' words also mean is that even though we fail to really uh, notice the problems in our lives, or at least... Um, Notice how deep those problems go. Despite the fact that we fail to do that, we know that these problems are, are enormous. And I say that because the Greek word that Jesus uses that gets translated log here actually referred to a, a load-bearing beam in a house in that day. And so this was you know, something you could kind of think of it along the lines of like a telephone pole. All right, now, now when you compare a telephone pole to a, you know, a speck like Jesus does here, obviously a telephone pole is millions of times larger than, you know, a speck of sawdust. But Jesus is not here saying uh, that hypocrites are millions of times more sinful and wicked than other kinds of people or other kinds of sinners. What he's saying is that all of us, every single one of us, intuitively has this sense that there is something enormously wrong in us. And that is the reason that we go to such great and ridiculous lengths to avoid uh, facing the truth about ourselves and, and, and hide the truth about ourselves. Um, but thirdly and lastly, it's really significant that Jesus says this log that we fail to see is in our eye rather than in any other part of our body. For, you know, Jesus could have said, you know, why do you, you know, point out the, the, the log in somebody else's foot when you have one in, in your own foot? But Jesus said that this log is a log that's in our eye. And the reason that that's so significant, if you think about it, is because when you have something in your eye, uh, on the one hand, you know that it's there. I have never in my entire life, I've never had, you know, uh, some debris or a bug or whatever, you know, uh, folded up contact. I've never had something in my eye without immediately being aware that something was in there. But when you have something in your eye, even though you, you, you have an awareness of it on one hand, very ironically, you are also the only one who can't see it because it's in your own eye. In other words, what Jesus is saying here 
is that every single one of us, we know that we're sinners, while on the other hand, we actually don't know that we're sinners. Now, you're probably wondering what on earth I mean by that, and there's actually a story that, that I, I think explains Jesus' words here perfectly. It's a true story of a commander of an allied force at the end of World War II who was liberating a death camp. And this commander was known for, um, and he'd seen basically everything that war had to offer. And so he was just a very difficult individual to really, um, you know, unsettle or rock his boat or move him. But as he went through this death camp and he saw the piles of bodies and he saw the absolute, you know, inhumane isn't even the word to describe, uh, you know, the things that went on inside that death camp, it, um, it had a profound effect on him. Uh, it, it, was, it was very moving to him, unsettling to him, you know, not just in an emotional sense or even a psychological sense, but even physically. And so the commander went into the nearby town that this death camp was essentially a part of, and he was convinced that all of the townspeople knew about this death camp and exactly what was going on there. And when he confronted them about it, the townspeople said they had absolutely no idea. They had no idea what was going on, even though, you know, this was essentially happening in their backyard. And so he wound up having every able-bodied citizen of this town walk through the death camp and see what he had just seen. And not surprisingly, it had the exact same impact on them that it had on him, that, you know, uh, walking to the death camp, they, they were kind of lighthearted and, you know, sort of jovial, but as they saw what was going on, really, you know, essentially in their neighborhood, uh, it, it, it just completely, it just, it, it was their undoing, basically. But after this tour took place... The mayor of the town and the mayor's wife, who were a part of that tour and saw what that commander had seen in that death camp, when they went home later that day, both the mayor and his wife hung themselves. And just before they did, they wrote a note. And all the note said was this. It said, we didn't know, but we knew. We didn't know but we knew. And I think you know exactly what they're trying to communicate there. What they're saying is that on the one hand, there was, there was an awareness in them that something not right was going on, that something maybe terrible was going on. But they, they made the, the conscious decision to suppress that awareness, to push it down, uh, to choose not to investigate and find out what was really going on so that they didn't have to do anything about it. And Jesus is saying that every single human being, I actually think this is amazing, what Jesus is saying in these verses is that every single human being, whether or not you believe in God, whether or not you believe in sin, whether or not you believe that the Bible is objective truth, whether or not you believe in objective morality in general, whether or not you believe in final judgment, heaven and hell, all of that, Jesus is saying that every single one of us has that same awareness in us. That in every single one of us, there's this voice that makes us feel condemned, that lets us know that there's some standard that we have not lived up to, and essentially we all go through life trying to shut that voice up, and it, it might actually be appropriate to say that everything in our lives is a function of us trying to cover up what we at least partly know to be true about us. And you see this, you see this the moment, according to the story in the Bible, you see this the moment that sin entered the world. Right, Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 2, before sin entered and made a mess of everything, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve were naked and they were unashamed. And that's not just talking about a physical nakedness. That's, that's painting the picture of two individuals who could face any level of scrutiny, any amount of scrutiny, because they had absolutely nothing to hide. But the moment 
Scripture says the moment that they sinned, there was this deep fundamental awareness of something that was not right in them, this horrible thing that we call shame. And what they did, according to that story, is they immediately covered themselves up with fig leaves. And mankind has been covering themselves up with whatever our version of fig leaves is ever since that day. That's what Jesus is saying here, that every single human heart has that same drive to hide, that same drive uh, to, to be covered up with something, to compensate for what we at least partly know to be true about us, that every single human heart is incapable of dealing with its own reality. And so we find a way of covering up. And in doing so, we're not just hiding from other people, we're actually hiding from ourselves. And so the question, like so much of what Jesus says time after time after time, the question is, well, what are we supposed to do about this? And the answer comes in the first half of, uh, pardon me, in the second half of verse 42, where Jesus says, first, take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck in your brother's eye. So Jesus tells us that what we have to do in response to this problem, if we don't want to continue to live this way, which I don't think anybody likes living as a hypocrite. I don't think anybody likes living knowing that they're at least secretly compensating for their own shame and you know, living on a stage and wearing a mask. What Jesus says, if we want to exit that way of life, then we need to do what's called removing the log from your, from your eye or from your life. So the question is, what does that actually mean? Removing the log from your life, first and foremost, is not trying really hard to rid yourself of sin in and of your own power, because that's the exact opposite of the gospel that Jesus came to preach. And and when we talk about the log that's in your eye, Jesus is not referring to a number of individual sins. He's not even talking about one really big sin. Removing the log in your own life is, is fundamentally about admitting that you are a sinner and that you cannot save yourself. And people historically all have a problem with this. We all have some issue with this. Most people, if if you really, you know, if you really sit with them and face them and 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 even press them, most people will say, "Well, you know, I'm not perfect. I have flaws. I made mistakes." But who hasn't? But what Jesus is saying here is that there is something much deeper going on in our lives than we know it. So removing the log in your own life is about. Basically, it's about doing everything that that mayor and his wife were incapable of doing. It's about deliberately choosing to face what at least part of you knows to be true. It's about acknowledging your sinfulness, your lostness, uh, and, and, and deliberately making it conscious, deliberately choosing to face all that your heart would rather hide. And, and so what that might look like, it, it, it means realizing that you're selfish, it means realizing that, that you're, you're afraid, that you're driven by fear. It means realizing that you have gone through life with the good things you've done, with the bad things that you've done, with the same primary motive, that you, you naturally go through life consistently putting yourself first regardless of what that costs the people around you. And so, so, to, so to people who might say, who might hide behind the, the, the guise or the mask of, well, I'm just independent, you know, facing yourself might, re, might mean realizing maybe you're not just independent. Maybe you've gone through life deliberately keeping everybody at an arm's length so that nobody can get close enough to you to actually see you and then reject you. Maybe that's why you've gone through life the way that you have. Or or to people who are exactly the opposite, to people who say, well, I'm not independent at all. I love getting in other people's lives and hearing what they're dealing with so that I can help them with that. Maybe facing yourself would mean realizing that that's not the whole story 
Maybe the reason that you love getting into other people's lives and hearing about their problems is because it momentarily helps you forget about your own. And maybe there's something in you that needs to be seen by the people around you as someone who gets into the lives of other people because that meets some need in you. And so the things that that you're doing for others that might look selfless on the surface are actually driven by self-interest. Now, those are, those are incredibly difficult things for you and I to face about ourselves. And I think the vast majority of people choose to go through life consciously avoiding those kinds of things about themselves. But that, is, that and no less is what Jesus is calling us to here. See, a Christian is somebody who should be profoundly self-aware. In other words, a Christian is somebody who looks back on the life that they've lived and realize that, that the bad things they've done, but even the good things they've done, they've done with the same primary motivation. They look back on their life and they realize that everything they've done, they've done with a, a certain element of, of selfishness. They've wanted to make themselves feel good or make themselves look good or prop themselves up and, and hide their own lostness from themselves in some way shape or form and and basically they've gone through life we've we've all gone through life using everything and everyone to that end and what jesus is saying in verse 42 here is that until all of until we begin to face that and until we begin to deal with that in us then our relationships will inevitably be marked and filled with hypocrisy and we're never going to be the kinds of people that can help remove the speck from somebody else's eye. And when Jesus talks about removing the speck from your brother's eye, what he's talking about is bringing real healing into the life of somebody that you love by speaking the truth in love to them. Removing the speck from somebody else's eye is, is, is not about just pointing out everything in somebody else's life that needs to change. Uh, that's not a difficult thing to do. Uh, it doesn't take a whole lot of brain power to be able to, to see those kinds of things in somebody else's life. And you can do that in a very self-righteous way that causes a lot more harm than good. What Jesus is talking about here is, is with, with extreme care and with extreme gentleness, it's helping someone else see that there are things in their life that are, that are, that are wrong with them that are hurting their relationship with God, that are hurting their relationship with other people. And that person is so convinced that you love them that they want you to help them get this speck out of their eye because they trust you. When Jesus talks about removing the speck from your, from, from your brother's eye, this is, this is the kind of parent that all of us want to be for our kids. This is the kind of, of, of spouse that we all want to be for our spouses or friend that we all want to be for our friends. But what's so important to note here is that Jesus says we will never be the kinds of people that can do that for the people that he places in our lives until we acknowledge all that needs to be acknowledged in us. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And as simple as that might sound, I think this is one of the hardest things we're ever going to do because our, literally our own hearts that want to hide, that don't want to be found out, that don't want to be brought to light, our own hearts are going to work against us as we do this. And so the only way that we're going to be able to do what Jesus is calling us to do here and face ourselves is if we understand what Jesus has done for us. When you look at what Jesus is, is, is saying, specifically in verse 42, he's, he's really in no uncertain terms. He's saying that if you and I, if we really want to help other people, then, then there is a, in some ways an awful price that needs to be paid in our own lives that nobody can pay for us except us. It's the price of repentance. It's the price of facing ours. And nobody can face you for you. Nobody can face me for me. But Jesus is saying that's what we need to do. 
to deal with our own sin, not in a we-can-save-ourselves kind of way, but to face and to admit our own sin. And in a, in a very real sense, Jesus is the ultimate example of that because Jesus knew that in order to help us with our sin and in order to save us from our sin and in order you know, to deal with our sin for us in ways that we never could, Jesus knew the only way for him to do that, the only way was for him to pay the price for our sin. And so the gospel shows us that when Jesus looked into all of our eyes and saw this massive piece of wood in our eyes, he allowed himself to be nailed to that piece of wood on a cross at a place called Calvary. And what Jesus experienced for, I don't think we think about the gospel in these terms enough, but what Jesus experienced on the cross for us is what scripture says, and and let me just make that personal for you, what Jesus experienced on the cross for you is what scripture says all of our hearts are most terrified of. In other words, at Calvary, Jesus experienced what it was like to be truly exposed, not just in a physical sense, but in an emotional sense and in a psychological sense, and in a, in a spiritual sense, in a cosmic sense. He was exposed entirely for you and I, and he, he took on the shame that you and I have been running from and compensating for ever since the day we turned our back on God. And he experienced all of that, not just before the people who were there at Calvary that day, but before his own father. I heard a pastor say something one time. This really spoke to me. He said that, that our greatest fear, whether we realize it or not, Our greatest fear is to be fully seen, to be fully known, and rejected for who we are. And that is exactly what Jesus experienced for us as he hung on that cross, forsaken even by his own Father. And in doing that, Jesus has done for us, or is willing to do for us, what our fig leaves never could. In other words, the moment that you put your trust in Jesus... Jesus does not just superficially cover up your sin, like puts a new coat of paint on you. He takes your sin away entirely. He takes away your shame. He takes away your guilt. And as you walk with him and grow in him, he takes away our fear that causes us to play this horrible, hypocritical, mask-wearing, finger-pointing, stage-playing game that the rest of the world is playing. And this is one of the primary things that should make the church so unique. Because let me just say something that you already know. We live in a culture of shame, right? In, it's specifically social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, has, has essentially made it possible for people to weaponize shame like never before. And it, whatever your social media platform is, it is it, all day, every day, you hop on there and you see people constantly trying to discredit each other, trying to destroy each other's reputations and ruin each other's lives by throwing up their past mistakes for everybody to see. And churches, churches, meaning communities of people who are genuine followers of Jesus, who really understand what God has done for them in Jesus and have really put their trust in Jesus, those communities should be places where the shaming stops because we all realize that while it would have been so easy for Jesus to shame me, and it would have been so easy for Jesus to shame you. Instead, he chose to take our shame for us. In other words, in a culture that says shame on you, the gospel says shame off you. So in light of this, I just want to ask you a question. Uh, and this might sound simple, but I don't think it is. I just want to ask you, do you really believe that Jesus died for you? Do you really believe that you are accepted entirely and exclusively because of what he has done on your behalf? 
Because it's only after we come to really believe that, that Jesus can come into our lives and show us all of the specks in our eyes without it totally crushing us. In other words, the only way, the only way for you and I to have the strength and the courage to face ourselves and the only way for us to have the security to take off the mask and walk off the stage is if our hearts are shored up by the knowledge that Jesus loves us infinitely, that he died for us, he gave his own life for us while we were his enemies, and now absolutely nothing can separate us from his love. And if you are basing your life, if, you, if you're basing your, 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 your salvation on your performance the way that religious people do, or if you're basing your self-image on your performance the way that irreligious people do, this is, that's the only alternative to living according to the gospel of the grace of Jesus. If you are living any other way than according to what God has done for you in Jesus, you and I are never going to be able to do everything that Jesus calls us to here. It's only when we know we're loved despite our sin that we can then be free to face and admit and begin repenting of our sin. And this is why Scripture says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm reading a book right now called The Reason for God. And in this book, so far, every chapter has basically uh, dealt with one of the primary objections that people have to Christianity. And so just a few days ago, I was reading, um, I was reading a chapter that dealt with whether or not the Bible is reliable and uh, and it said something that I thought was, was, was pretty, pretty amazing, kind of thought-provoking. It said one of the primary reasons that we can trust that the New Testament gospel accounts, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the primary reasons we can trust that they are legitimate, accurate, eyewitness material instead of just fabrications made up by the authors is because uh, the people who gave us those stories so often chose to paint themselves in such a negative light. If you just read through the New Testament, specifically the gospel accounts, it, it, it might actually take your breath away. When you know to look for it, it might actually take your breath away how often the New Testament shows the, the, the disciples of Jesus to be absolute idiots. They argue with Jesus. They ask him stupid questions. They're inconsistent. They're immature. They're, they're weak. And they actually abandon him when it mattered most. And they, this is the amazing part, they are the reason that we know any of that stuff about them because they chose to include those details about their own lives in the documents that we now call the Bible. Now, I was just thinking about this as I was putting this teaching together. If I was one of those eyewitnesses 2,000 years ago, I would certainly not make up anything about Jesus. But I know myself enough to know that I probably would have left out the part where I denied even knowing who he was to a teenage girl. Right? But the disciples were unbothered by that. The disciples were, were totally unconcerned with that because after the cross and the resurrection, they had no problem telling people who they really were and how often they got it wrong, how often they doubted when they should have believed, how often they were afraid when they should have been bold, how often they failed when they should have succeeded. They had that kind of emotional health. They had that kind of personal integrity. They knew who they were. And I think the greatest example of this is Paul himself. One of, the, one of the most famous things about Paul's testimony is that before he became a Christian, he killed Christians. But one of the things that I don't, I don't think we, we think about often is that Paul became a Christian very early on into the movement known as Christianity. It was only a couple years old when Paul became a Christian, which means that he was killing Christians at a time when there weren't that many in the world to kill. So you can bet that every single time Paul went into a town, 
and went to a church and stood before the members of that community, you can bet that he stood face to face with people whose loved ones he had killed. Now you got to ask yourself, how did he live with that? How did, he, how did he learn to live with that? I mean, some of us right now are having a really hard time living with things that are considerably smaller than the things Paul learned to live with. And if that sounds like you, if you're having the hardest time getting over things that you've done, if guilt and shame is knocking on your door and it's just eating you alive, the reason for that, biblically speaking, is because you don't know something that Paul did know. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said one of the, it's a simple, but it's a life change, it's a profound statement. He said, by the grace of God, Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He knew that nothing that he had done or nothing he had failed to do determined his identity. His identity was completely formed and held together by what God had done for him in Jesus. And if you know that, and and if you're healed by that, and if you build your life on that, then you'll be able to stop playing this exhausting, hypocritical game that Jesus is talking about here that everybody else on this planet is playing, and you'll be able to take off your mask and walk off the stage. And more than just that, you'll be the kind of person that can help other people do the same. You'll be able to step into other people's lives. You'll be able to speak into other people's lives, people that you love. And you'll be able to help them remove the speck from their eye with with a humility that opens them up to you and a confidence that enables you to say what needs to be said for the benefit of the person across from you. Because knowing you're a sinner will make you humble. And that'll come across in every every interaction that that you have. But knowing that you are loved infinitely, despite all of your sin, because of your relationship with Jesus, will make you confident like nothing else in the universe. And the only thing that can teach us both of those things, that can instill both humility and confidence in us in the same time, the only thing that has the power to do that is this beautiful, life-changing message that we call the gospel. So I just want to leave you with this. If, if this is a message that spoke to you, if you know that, that if you got really honest, your life is it's basically amounted to you on a stage, wearing a mask, driven by fear, driven by guilt, driven by shame, I just want to let you know that Jesus, he lived for you, he died for you, he rose again for you. So you could take off the mask and you could leave the stage. And that, I think, is where real life begins. But it's only possible by grace through faith in him. That's it. And that's all.